Hello everybody and welcome to Tanzhas Talk, the world's only English language program focusing primarily on Hungarian folk music. I'm Kalman Magyar Öcsi coming to you from Toronto, Canada. Episodes of Tanzhas Talk which combine a mix of music and stories delivered by yours truly are available as always on tanzhas.com that's t a n c h a z.com or on YouTube, just search Tansas Talk and subscribe so you don't miss anything. Uh, today's episode, though, is an edition of Tansas Talk Interviews, where I go in-depth and long-form with a wide range of guests. And today I'm excited to have on the program uh, Kalman Dreisiger joining us via the telephone from Montreal, Canada. Kalman was born in 1945 in Chorno, Hungary. That's... Um, Northwest Hungary, near the city of Gyur, which makes him a Rabokuzi boy. He immigrated to Canada in 1956 after the revolution to Welland, Ontario. It's a big Hungarian community there at the time. He joined uh, Kodai Dance Ensemble of Toronto in 1963 at the age of 18. He ended up leading Kodai as, as a group's director from 1966 to 1986. That's a 20-year stint uh, right there during the sweet spot of the development of the Hungarian folk revival movement, including the Tansas, and we'll delve into that, I'm sure, for this interview. In the meantime, Kalman got a degree in architecture from the University of Toronto in 1970. He worked as a creative director in advertising, mostly, so he's the Hungarian Don Draper, I guess, he's, and he was known in his professional career as Cal, and he's the first Kalman that I met that uh, used the name Cal, so that's kind of what I where I got it from. Um, he relocated to Montreal in 1986, and he's still the heartbeat of the Montreal Hungarian folk dance community with the Bukrita group there. Uh, interesting uh, note, of, of course, a part of Kalman's uh, Hungarian folk dance background is that he met my father uh, as part of the Hungarian scouts camps um, when they were uh, growing up, late teens, early 20s, and they uh, together uh, shared a passion for Hungarian folk dance and they became a dynamic duo in organizing uh, Pontozo and symposiums and North American Hungarian Festival and uh, various tours of, 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 um, of, of tour touring artists. And uh, Kalman has two sons, uh, Daniel, a former chef and now a personal trainer, and Danesh Dreisiget, who I think many of us know in the part of the folk dance community here. He's a uh, a wonderful Hungarian, former Hungarian professional folk dancer, now leads the Bokrita adult group, and he's an expert in Pilates as well. And it's worth noting that um, Kalman's brother, Nandor, is a retired history professor at Royal Military College of Canada in Kingston, Ontario, and he is also an expert on Hungarian history. I'm very happy to have Kalman on the program. Hello, Kalman. Hello, Uchi. It's nice to be on the program. Thank you. You are uh, the first guest and hope the one of many, many guests. And uh, we're very excited to hear, or, and I'm very excited to delve into uh, some of the history and some of the uh, future as well with you uh, about the Hungarian folk um, movement. Uh, you know, I was doing some research um, preparing for the interview, Kalman. Of course, I know a lot about you already, but what I, I found something about your your parents which was surprising and and you know they um, growing up in Chorna, um, the, your your parents were 
um, helped out a, um, a family, a Jewish family, uh, during the Holocaust, in, uh, helping them hide out and then, I think, escape Hungary uh, during the war and uh, during the Holocaust. Um, my, my, many Hungarians have a similar story, Kalman. I think, you know, my wife also has a similar story where her grandparents helped sneak a family over the, a Jewish family over the border. Your parents were clearly amazing people, and I, I wanted to know from you how did they guide your life and your your ethos, and I guess what I'm getting at is, is, is it merely a coincidence that both you and your brother would ma make it your life's work to, you know, immerse yourself in sharing Hungarian dance and music and, and, and Hungarian history? Oh, that's a big question about uh, how, how the parents influence, because um, I have a feeling that none of us really delve into uh, sort of examining how that happens. Uh, it sort of happens uh, subliminally when you're smaller. Um, one of the things was that my father was all, uh, uh, an amateur actor, so theatricals that happened in Chorna he was always involved with. He loved song and dance and, and theater, so I'm sure that that had something to do with, with uh, my interest in folk dance, which uh, when it happened was... The folk, the folk dance movement was was uh, a theater-centric movement. the Hungarian State Folk Ensemble, uh, whom I had a chance to see in 1953, I believe, in Hungary. They came to Chorna for a performance, an open-air performance. Um, so to me, originally, folk dance was a theatrical uh, phenomenon. And it took a long, long time before, before uh, being immersed in that. Before I realized that, holy crow, this is—it's much more than that. And that was the Tanzas movement that uh, um, I had the great, great good fortune of, of, of being seeing that in the late seventies when it was already going, uh, and being being able to uh, re. Um, examine my the my love for Hungarian folk dance in in more proper terms boy that's a long a long statement um, it's a great statement yeah um, yeah I mean your did your parents uh, when they came here and I saw an interview I think it's um, done by a Holocaust society I forget the name of it Yad Vashim probably yes with you translating for them so did your did your parents did your parents uh, end up not learning English, or they just felt very uncomfortable speaking it? Um, they felt very uncomfortable speaking it. That's a, also an interesting family story. When my father came to Canada, he was 50-ish, 50 probably. And as a, an 11-year-old kid, I learned English quite fast, because, you know, it, it, uh, kids learn fast. Yeah. And I could never, never quite understand why my father wasn't able to to learn English. He wasn't a stupid man. He was, in fact, very intelligent. Um, and then uh, and then, sort of uh, not understanding that and having that in the background, uh, we moved to Montreal and I couldn't learn French. <laughs> I know you are, you're such a master translator at all these events. You're, you're kind of my role model. My, my, I know my dad would always say, come on, you come here, you, you, you translate. Uh, and then it's funny to see you always have a translator by your side when, we, when you perform in Montreal and when you speak to the audience. 
Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I had the great, great good fortune of being able to translate most of the time with Jean-Bierre Côté. Uh, uh, so my, my salute to her. We, we make a really good uh, team in, in, in uh, announcing stuff. So 1953 in Chorno, uh the Hungarian State Folk Ensembles uh, comes there and does a show. What do you remember? I mean, you're like seven years old, so it might not be much, but do you remember any impressions you had then? Oh, I was... Uh, it, uh, that's a good question. I haven't really thought about that. I'm sure that I was impressed by it all together as a show, um, but nothing sticks out. Uh, I wasn't aware of dialects or anything like that. And and to be to be honest, the, uh, the state folk ensemble, the Alami, was not big on dialects anyway at that time. Uh, its choreographies were sort of thematic or story choreographies. That was Rabbi's forte's is building a choreography around a theme or a story like. Uh, spinning room or uh, Achari Lakudalmas wedding in Achar. Uh, uh, so uh, no, I don't. I, there's nothing specific. No, there's no nothing like, oh wow, I've, uh, that's so nice. Uh, I've got to get closer to that. I was just impressed by it generally. Uh, yeah, you, you didn't know the dialects. I doubt they knew the dialects either. You know, <laughs> they didn't either. That's right. Um, so. Once you came here, um, you know, you started dancing when you were 18. Now, it, it would be interesting to find, it, you don't find many young men that around that age who start with it. And of course, you know, it started at that age. That age. They're usually quitting by that age, um, unfortunately. But, but you know, uh, why did you start dancing then with Kodai? Uh, what got you into it? Uh, I would say two things. One is I had a chance. Um, in Toronto, um, uh, the CNE had, a, the Canadian National Exhibition had a, a, a day and a stage performance devoted, a huge outdoor stage performance devoted to uh, a multi-ethnic show called Nation Builders, I believe. And a couple of years before that, so probably in about uh, 61 um, or 62, uh, I, probably 62, anyway, I saw Kodai perform at Nation Builders at Sharila Kodalmas. Mm. Uh, and I said to myself, holy crow, that's gorgeous. That's really fantastic. And that was that. And then a, a, a year-ish later, uh, two people separately asked me to join the Kodai dance group. It was uh, a, a school chum, Pinterianchi, uh, mm. on the one hand, and and uh, I like uh, uh, not Bobby, but uh, okay. Um, uh, the name escapes me now. Anyway, Bobby's sister um, also, who was a family friend, mm. and so getting two invitations or two exhortations to join, I went down to a practice and, and stuck. Uh, back then, was there the similar issue we have here with there being more men than, excuse me, more women than men, usually? No, it was a pretty even... Okay, a little bit, if you don't mind, I'll delve a little bit into the history of Kodai. Um, yes. Kodai, just to, to put the context... Kodai uh, was started in 1960, uh, and it started as a male choir. 
and George Zaduban, who was a marvelous, uh, charismatic leader, uh, choir master, uh, excellent uh, musician, expert musician, um, started the male choir, and the male choir was joined by female voices at some point, and and then a dance group. Uh, um, the dance, most of the dancers had danced already in a group called Bihari, uh, Drabik Mishi's group. Mm -hmm. So it was almost like uh, a, a complete group went over to, to become the Kodai group. And so, you know, there was partners in the whole bit. So it wasn't a, a, a group that grew out of the community from zero. Uh, uh, they, they, most of them had already been dancing in Drabik Mishi's group. Mm -hmm. So, so they, I don't remember it as being a problem between unequal uh, male-female um, members. Right. Um, well, that, that, that seems to be a trend that we see at concerts and festivals and, and the workshops and, of course, dance groups. I don't know if you heard of my, my uh, proposed um, company. It's not Amazon, it's Amazoli. I don't know if you heard of that, but you... You can order um, a bunch of Hungarian male dancers. They're all called Zoli, and you go to Amazoli.com, and then if you order Prime, you can get free shipping of Zolis. You know, so okay. yeah, and they come next. Well, oddly, yeah. <laughs> sorry, oddly enough, uh, we don't need them in Montreal. The, the Montreal children's group has more boys than girls. The Montreal uh, junior group has more boys than girls, oh. and the Montreal adult group, and this is Pokrita, uh, all of them, uh, Montreal adult group has more male members than female members. So That's I don't know if there's something weird happening in Montreal. So they need a, a Amorosi or something. Yes, right? a wonderful, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kama, do you, do you remember, so who... When you first joined the group, who was the the, uh, the the dance director? And tell me some more about your you know your role models and your mentors that you had back then. And I know I, I want to keep you to the '60s right now because I know every, everything changes when once we hit the late '70s. But let's talk about when you first joined in. Okay, uh, there were three people who were teaching the group uh, from Medusi, uh Kons Duri. And Pokolianiker. Uh, from Medusi was a uh, was a professional dancer in Hungary. Uh, Konz Duri was, I th if I'm not mistaken, also danced in the Alami at some point. So he was a professional. And Pokolianiker, I don't know, I don't know her background, but she was very, very good as well. Um, so these people were the people leading the group uh, with with, and they had. Um, you know, the knowledge of some of the uh, state folk ensembles choreographies, they had a background in dance. So the group was very fortunate in that respect that, that it, it had guidance from, from uh, professionals who had uh, learned their, their, their dancing, who had back, uh, dance background, professional dance background from Hungary still. So when by the uh, by the way, the the, the thing that that made the male the original male choir so great is also the fact that what well, this is we're talking about 1960. There were a lot of people in Toronto who had 
being part of the the amazing choir uh, network in Hungary or the, uh, the choir culture in Hungary. Um, they would do uh, arrangements, classical arrangements of folk tunes and stuff like that. And uh, plus Zagvan Jurka's knowledge made that, that choir a really, really excellent choir. So that was sort of mirrored in the dance group as well with these these uh, people with expertise uh, who who had brought expertise from Hungary to the group. So, so the, the, and there was also a live orchestra, correct? Um, it's it's a it's kind of a weird thing. Zervan Jurka I mentioned was a was really an expert musician, so he had the expertise to be able to to conduct uh, a concert orchestra. There was no um, proper Kodai orchestra, but what happened is that Yuri would recruit musicians that he knew from Toronto to make a, a, a kind of a quasi-symphony orchestra, and they would play for the big performances that the, the, the group did. So. So we're talking, Kodai almost became a mini version of the Hungarian State Folk Ensemble. In fact, the, the, the dance-wise, the two, the, the, the two male dancers you mentioned had both been professional dancers with the Hungarian State Folk Ensemble or maybe another folk ensemble in Budapest. And, and you had a, a choir, and of course the Hungarian State Folk Ensemble had an amazing choir, and they had you know, uh, a, a live uh, symphonic type of setup as well, correct? Exactly, exactly. In fact, uh, the State Folk Ensemble was the model for Kodai mm -hmm. for many, many years. And the repertoire also mirrored that, because Kodai had in its repertoire Achari Lakodalmas, Ashtal Fonoban, Kalai Katush, that sort of thing. Was that all performed with the permission, so to speak, or the blessing of folks back in Budapest? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. I, I really don't think so. What happened uh, during those times? The contact with Hungary was uh, um, very, very um, guarded uh, because of the political situation. So I don't think anybody uh, asked the state folk ensemble whether that was okay or not. Right, but you became almost like a, like a tribute band or a cover band <laughs> in a way. <laughs> But yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, why do you and did you love dancing? Hmm. That's a really good question, and I can't give you an answer for that. It just mm -hmm. happened. I really liked it. Um, I wasn't. Um, I'm not a very um, athletically oriented person. I never played, played soccer in a team or anything like that. So I think. Glancing back at it, I'm sure that part of the part of the attraction was uh, movement. Part of it, most of it, was social. Uh, but I think the, the the guiding factor in it, or the most important factor in it, was um, the idea um, that I was relating to my culture through that. Mm -hmm. And that was important to me. Mm -hmm. in, in teaching kids now, I can almost pick out the ones that have that same attitude and therefore are interested in the dance as opposed to the ones that are there because their parents sent them. Right. 
Well, certainly at the age of 18, your parents would not send you. They would you. Not, not send me, no. Yeah, yeah. So you're, you're, instead of the soccer team, you were more of like the chess team guy, right? Uh, I, I did play chess, but not, not very actively. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, so we, we, uh, in the earlier episode of Kansas Talk, I, I, I played some of, uh, some of the old Alami music, and, and it's the, uh, you remember the Tsigain Tanz. Uh, oh yeah, which was wildly uh, operatic at the beginning. The soprano, oh, just going on, and and the band comes in, and then the, you know, and the music at the at the end is incredibly theatrical. It's like a Cirque du Soleil show almost. Um, and I'll tell you, Kama, I still love listening to that today. You know, um, it's beautiful, beautiful music, and it's a part of our heritage. And and uh, you know, I, I I know you to be. A much more of a purist in terms of, of, of you know how you relate to the village folklore, which is I know your your major passion. But, but you know there's still wonderful wonderful things and memories tied to the, that that type of music. And I like it when the the Hungarian State Folk Ensemble brings back the Kalai Ketush or Echeri Lakodalmas or something. Even now, although I will say the dancers are actually not really up to the task, are they? They it's a different skill set now. Isn't that interesting? Yes, you're absolutely right. It was, it's interesting to see because because it's the flip side of the coin from they weren't up to the uh, Timar style uh, when Timar took over the Alami. Mm -hmm. It was the young kids who just come in uh, like Zura and Batu who, who, who could dance the Timar style properly. Uh, the older uh, generation of dancers uh, were sort of going, what? What's yeah. that? Yes. Absolutely. Um, so, Kalman, you started with this stylized, uh, of course, in the 60s, that's what, what it was. And then in the 70s, we see the, the Hungarian Roots Revival movement really take off mostly through the Tantzas movement. Um, did, did, the, did the Kodai group move uniformly and roll into that direction of, this, of the, of the, uh, the Tantzas type of, of, of material, putting that on stage? Or were there people, was there any rift internally between people who, li who like to uh, keep the stylized style and people who wanted to leap forward or actually leap, leap back in a way uh, into the village folklore? Um, that, that's also a really complicated story as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I had a chance, I was in Hungary in, sometime in the mid to late 70s and somebody told me to a friend of the family told me to go to the Kasha Club because there was a townhouse at the Kasha Club and I didn't know what a townhouse was but I went to the Kasha Club and it was absolutely uh, my jaw dropped it was absolutely amazing for one thing uh, Jura did a, a, a solo in playing to to uh, to Homer's Bela's uh, music in front of Homer's Bela's music uh, playing, and and it was just just draw, jaw dropping. Oh, you, just got, they, you just gave me chills, Kama. Thank you. <laughs> so so at that point, I said to myself, and there, there were there were dances from Sake being done, 
uh, I said to myself, I gotta learn. I just have to learn that stuff. I, who am I gonna learn it from? And I talked to a couple of the dancers from the older generation who I knew in the, in the Alami, and they said, oh yeah, we can teach you stuff. We have a, a choreography that's called Seiki Tanso. But if, and I said, no, 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 I don't wanna learn the choreography. I wanna learn the dances. <laughs> And they said, oh, well, talk to, the, talk to that kid. And they pointed to Zura. Uh, and so that's how, that's how it started. And, and, uh, but to get back to your question, mm-hmm. when I came back, I was hell-bent on, on trying that, uh, in that, that in that direction. But I knew that Kodai had, not everybody had that, that cathartic experience that I had in Hungary. So how am I going to bring them across? Mm-hmm. Now, what had happened, on the other hand, is that there was uh, a, an amazing, amazing musical uh, phenomenon in Toronto called the Fekete Field, yeah. uh, Brothers, who uh, who were sort of in the same mode as the Tansas movement, in and of their own uh, volition. So not not as influenced by the Tansas movement. They wanted to do it on their own. So um, I, I went to RP, uh, uh, and said, um, do you want to do something uh, of this nature? And so we started a, a Fakata Field Ensemble dancers from, partly from Kodai, partly from St. Catherine's kids. Uh, and we actually had a show as well at some point and uh, doing, uh, I think on, in the show was a Seiki choreography but Tansha style choreography, uh, coincidentally in brackets, somebody in the audience uh, told me afterwards that that stuff must be fun to do. It's really boring to watch. (laughs) So, and then once that happened, that gave an impetus to, to me trying it with Kodai as well. But it was a slow, gradual thing. Did you have people like, okay, so it, it, it's not like one day to the next, Dreisiga uh, Kama walks in and says, everybody, uh, team meeting, uh, you know, we're, we're done doing Etcheri Lokodalmos, and now we're going to do Modocoy Ugrosh, you know, like it's, it wasn't that. No, no. Yeah, it was, it was phased in, so some people did... Like I'm just curious if there are no names, of course, here, but you know, if if there were people who said, you know, I'd rather not, Kalma. I don't like this other stuff. I like to keep my toes pointed and my, you know, my my uh, uh, extend my legs when I sm- uh, slap, uh, or I like to wear red boots. The girls would say, you know, um, and I'm not I'm not into this uh, this improvised kind of stuff. Was there any of that? Um. Not that I remember, um, because the dance group was changing, uh, changing in as much as there were uh, new generations of dancers coming in who who weren't as connected to the old uh, repertoire as uh, as the previous generation might have been. So mm-hmm. it was a clean slate for them. So it wasn't too terribly difficult. There were difficulties. Uh, you know my deep respect for Zadvan Jurka, yep. so so uh, I, I, I won't hide his name. I asked him at some point whether we could do, uh, if we did a Seiki choreography, would he do the music for it? And he sort of said, oh yeah, of course, I'll clean it up. Mm. Uh, right. So so there was, <laughs> 
there there was that sort of thing a little bit, but uh, but not not a. I don't I don't remember there being an opposition to moving in that direction. His his head would have spun uh, trying to clean it up, Kaman, uh, because you know in, <laughs> yes, in sake sure. in sake they only play major chords, so it wouldn't matter if a melody and half the melodies in sake are in minor keys, but the chords are in major. And um, and that that's a there's a there's a seiki tansuk. I think what you're talking about the old alami seiki tansuk. Oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. A, I, I don't know if uh, what I remember very much is the orchestral number. Uh, uh, yes. The seiki orchestral yes. number, which is yeah. quite quite. You're right when you're talking about, for example, when you were talking about the uh, the gypsy number that the alami had. Uh, being in a way very engaging and terrific, that music is also incredibly beautiful. It's beautiful. It's there's a nice slow part there. Um, uh, come on, you know we don't we we kind of in in our movement, uh, or you know in our community here in North America, uh, as an example, you know we get to know people as folkies. You know they do this, they they play this, they dance that, they dance with this group, but. We really lose sense often of of their professional lives. Um, some people are very surprised to know me for 15 years, and then they realize, wait a second, you're a lawyer like that. So um, I, I wanted to I wanted to touch uh, on the your career a bit and how you studied architecture, but then you delved into or you kind of morphed into. Uh, creative uh, or uh, as a creative director in advertising can you explain to me how that happened okay all right so it's, it, be, it, it that explanation would begin with a critique of the uh, the teaching of architecture uh, at a university but it probably applies to a lot of stuff that's career oriented like engineering and all that sort of stuff in architecture, the way that the School of Architecture worked is that as a student, you were given problems to solve or projects to do where you would make all the, all the decisions, design decisions, uh, in, in bringing to, in making your idea or your concept flower. Um, when I, I as a as an immigrant kid, uh, I I was degree oriented and 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 sort of um, job success oriented, mm -hmm. uh, and was a good student. Um, and it was shocking for me to find out when I got out that far from being able to make the major decisions in, a, in, 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 in designing a building, the architect had a very, very limited range of, of, of decision-making ability, and, and most of it was sort of technically oriented. And I was not interested in that, uh, not that I wasn't interested in it at all, but it was such a shock to find out that that's what it was about, uh, when I got out, that uh, that I said no, no, I'm, I, I I can't do this. This is this is not what I'm what I want to do, mm -hmm. and so I sort of had a breakdown, and uh, and then uh, uh, my wife found uh, a description of of a creative guy in an advertising agency hiding out in a. a um, 
uh, storage cabinet and doing his work there, and that was okay uh, in the context of an advertising agency. And I said, well, that, that looks interesting. So actually, <laughs> that's cute. Uh, from Medusi, who was the director of the dance group, who had been the director of the dance group and, and continued to be a friend even after he left the group, uh, got me uh, uh, a job in an advertising agency. Uh, and I wanted to write copy, but I was made into a, a, an account person, which was a good training, actually. Hmm. So that's how I got into advertising. So uh, have you watched Mad Men? Uh, to a very limited extent. Okay, so when I... I, I, was, I was never in mainstream advertising. Uh, I was always... I, I was a drug pusher, <laughs> meaning that I worked in pharmaceutical advertising. Right, right. Um, I mentioned Don Draper um, at the beginning. Uh, I hope you knew that, that what, who that is. That's the, no, I didn't. Oh, so Don Draper is the... One of the, one, he's the star of Mad Men, the show, and um, he's the creative director. And um, his partner is Roger Sterling, who's kind of like the accounts man. So he's always out and winding and dining the clients. And Don Draper is the guy who's um, you know doing all the making all the ads. So you you and this is an interesting um, kind of confluence here with my father as well, who is who worked as you know in the in the pharmaceutical industry for years, medical devices as well in regulatory affairs. So you're doing the advertising and he's doing the regulatory affairs, which is interesting. Um, come on, back back before, you know, work from home and work remotely, you know, we're, we're kind of saddled with, you know, limited number of, of vacation weeks. Um, and that means, you know, you're either, you got two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, depending on your seniority. Um, of course, that exists now, but a lot of employers allow people to to, uh, to, to, to travel and work. Um, I'm wondering whether, you know, all going to, the, the, the going to camps and, 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 and traveling to Hungary and doing performances and, and, and going to Pontozos and all that stuff, did that ever conflict with your, you know, with your professional career as a, as a creative director in advertising? I don't remember it conflicting. Uh, sure, there were, uh, uh, for example, a little, for example, at some point, uh, Kodai had the singular distinction of being the Canadian contingent at an international festival in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it took a, a little over, probably about 10 days. And it, 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 I couldn't stay till the end, even though I was leading the group at that point. I had to leave a couple of days early because there were some work pressures. So sure, there were some work pressures, but I don't remember, I don't remember conflicts as such. I don't exactly know how I managed it, but I seem to have managed your father was probably very much in the same vein. There's a phrase in Hungarian, or there was certainly in the, in, in sort of the uh, uh, late communist times in the 80s or something, and it's Fuamalekes. Uh, so, so um, how would you translate that? Um, uh, I, <laughs> that's hard. a good one. Uh, what's really important is is the secondary. Yes. So, so for, uh, if you could look at folk dance as a secondary kind of thing, right. to me that was always what was really important. Right, right. Um, let me try to uh, 
maybe challenge you um, and bring together your creative uh, director and advertising uh, mind with your uh, Hungarian folk dance mind. Um, I, I know you to be, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, you know, like a, a, a philosopher and really like a purist in, in my mind when I think about, you know, when I'm going to put something on stage or maybe make a musical arrangement. Uh, sometimes, especially in the old days, it might come across my mind to think, what will Dreisiger Kalman think? Because because you, you you know once the stylized days were over and we went into the village folklore Kalman, you were all in, and um, and hundred percent in. And we're, I, I I will later ask you about uh, the challenges associated with putting uh, the village folklore on stage, as somebody commented, of course, to you during your first Fekete Food dance group <laughs> performance. Nice, looks like fun but tough to watch. So we'll talk about that, but. But, you know, how would you advertise the, 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 what Tanz has is to the world? What, the core of it, the, the, the heart of it. If you can make like a, an ad or a billboard, um, you know, what would it say? And, and, and how, how and, and that would, you know, uh, and, and that would really lead us to, you know, to ensure that in the future generations we get to keep this thing with us, this wonderful part of our roots um, yeah that's the question and there was uh, uh, the Smithsonian in Washington had uh, uh, quite a quite a number of years ago maybe 10 15 years ago had uh, uh, a festival that brought people from Hungary and they were looking for a, a, a key word or a key title for that fresh festival and uh, my submission to, for that was Roots Revival, and I think that's that's a that's a pretty good handle for it. it was roots, it come on? Was it Roots to Revival or Roots Revival? Roots Revival. Somehow it be, well it became Roots to Revival. We're talking about 2013, right? Oh, oh, did it become Roots to Revival? Yeah, it could have. Yes, yeah. easy. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So explain what that means for you. Um, well, okay, the roots is, is fairly easy to see. It's the, 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 the various village uh, cultures that existed uh, as a network and were greater than the sum of its parts, sort of. Um, in, in Hungary, up until maybe the First World War, fairly intensely. Uh, in Transylvania, probably until the 50s or thereabouts. Uh, even after the First World War in, in most of Hungary, sorry, I'm, I'm till, mm -hmm. let's say till the Second World War. Um, uh, but in Transylvania, about 50 years longer, even. Um, and, and then uh, the, the revival aspect of it, the roots, that's the roots aspect of it. Yeah. And, and the roots aspect of it is, is, is really fascinating, really amazing. Um, if you don't mind, I'll launch into into uh, my five minute version or even less version of of, of the the wisdom that I got from uh, people like uh, Arnold Bachi uh, and and Martin Jurka right. about European folk dance generally. They say Hungarian dance experts 
say that European folk dance can be divided in, roughly divided into three uh, ages. The first age being the from antiquity until uh, the early Renaissance, and it's it's dances motivated by community spirit, dances for the large part in, in circles or chains, everybody doing the same thing. These are the dances that you find still in the Balkans, in the Middle East, mm-hmm. in stretching into further east a little bit. Right. And then the early Renaissance brought, among other amazing changes like perspective in, in art, um, brought the the possibility of couples dances not linked anymore. Um, there had always been, uh, interestingly enough, individual dances, uh, male dances, war dances, uh, fighting dances, and that sort of stuff, but never as couples individually. So that was new. Mm-hmm. Hungary, I think, uh, it caught on in Hungary quite, quite fast in, in about a hundred years, which is a blink of, a, of an eye in historical terms. I've always wondered why. One of the things that, that I think you can say is uh, our Renaissance king, uh, Matias Kirai, had a, a northern Italian queen, and she brought with her probably artists from uh, northern Italy, but possibly also dance masters, who would have taught this this style of dancing anyway? In the Carpathian Basin, that became the 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 ruling style. This uh, because as couples, then you could improvise. You weren't mm-hmm. you weren't uh, constrained by the community anymore. Mm-hmm. So it was a, a revolution of individuals as well as. Uh, and, and that also speaks to perspective and all the, the individual point of view and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the third phase of it is a restructuring of dance into set pattern dances, courtly dances. These are the ones that made their way into to the New World in North America as well. Square dances devolved from that tradition, but this is the tradition in, in Western Europe dance tradition in Western Europe. The re- one of the reasons why uh, the, the geographically there's this huge divide between uh, the Balkans, Greece, uh, um, and the Carpathian Basin, and then Western Europe, it, it has to do with the growth of the Ottoman Empire. Uh, the Ottoman Empire had uh, gobbled up the Balkans by the time the revolution in the early Renaissance happened in dance. So it impacted uh, Central Europe, Hungary, um, but not the Balkans anymore. And then by the time this next revolution came along, the restructuring, the Ottoman Empire had spread to the gates of Vienna. So uh, it, it, that revolution didn't impact Hungary anymore. So that's, that's why uh, Central Europe, Hungary, Slovakia, uh, Transylvania, Transylvania, Romanian traditions are uh, mainly set in this, not exclusively by any means, because we have Caricazo and all that, which belongs to the older uh, um, layer of dances. But, but, but mainly, mainly in the uh, early Renaissance tradition, whereas the rest of Western Europe is in the late Renaissance tradition. 
So Come where on, was um, I going the, with all of that? No, it's that, this is good, very interesting because we uh, um, a recent episode of Tansas Talk, I talked about the three uh, ethnographic regions as taught by uh, uh, Martin Jör, um, Dunan Tuli region, and then Tisa region, and then Erde, Transylvania. Um, those are the big three, and of course, you know, you know, those that analysis was done, you know, 40, 50, 60 years ago. We we know a bit more now. In fact, uh, in terms of you know, it stretches out even beyond that into Bukovina and the like. Um, although those are that's a whole different philosophical discussion. But I, I really appreciate you bringing this into for for, for the dancers and the audience. Um, the three ages, the antiquity, which would the antiquity line dances. We'd see that, of course, uh, as an example, would be the Dimeshi Heso, correct? That's right. That's right. Because uh, curiously enough, uh, Dimesh has. Uh, both traditions, uh, both the, the that that antiquity tradition, probably uh, principally from Romanian sources, uh, and the Hungarian the, the the Renaissance tradition in the couple's dances, right. and a little bit, uh, even a little bit in the uh, of of the the structured dances in Katusi Arta Tuya, Sishiriluya, the anyway. Absolutely. We're very lucky to have, for instance, that region exemplify all three. Um, so, so uh, no, that, 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 that's interesting. I appreciate that. By the way, you mentioned Ernő Bachi. You mean Peshobar Ernő, is that correct? Yes, of course. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, so, so getting back to the, 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 you know, the, the Roots to Revival statement that, that you, you kind of came up with as a tagline, which either it was Roots Revival and somebody changed it to Roots to Revival, um, or you actually had proposed Roots to Revival, but it was uh, 10 years ago almost now. So, um, but, but, and that was a fantastic festival by Smithsonian, uh, and a lot of very, very notable people and dancers were here, and um, that was fantastic. So, so getting back to that, you know, um, you see a lot of discussion, philosophical discussion about, uh, about uh, the traditionalists, and here's an example, you know, Vizeli Bolaj, a great violinist, who is very against the business of Hungarian folk music. He, he says Hungarian folk music is not a business, and, you know, if we're going to make a living doing this, we should just look to teach and maybe sell some recordings, but, but you know, forget about the commercialization of it, um, which, which is one aspect. And then the other aspect you have, you know, the, 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 it's an example the cheek band which plays into uh, the pop culture purposefully can totally play a tansas if they wanted to but and they do sometimes rarely but um, but they purposefully play into the into the pop culture and of course there's a financial reason for it people have to make a living and and and, and feed their families but but also there's a potential uh, way there to shoehorn the the roots then the revival into something maybe a third category like could be the future or ensuring the, the, the you know survival in, in pop culture, and I mentioned this uh, the other day. I, I we did a recent episode of Tansas Talk. I did, and I was talking about how you know the Serbians or the Albanians would know um, you know these folk pop artists a lot. Uh, the average Joe would would know that person on the streets of Belgrade or Tirana, um, uh, but you know they don't really know their folklore, so. Meanwhile, we're very lucky because we have these people, 
people wouldn't know Vizeli Bolaj on the street, but damn, he's one of the greatest violinists, uh, Hungarian folk violinists that exists. Uh, um, so, uh, but but he's relatively unknown among Hungarians uh, on the street. So you know, the, I, I'm the the question for you is 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 there a way to do this tastefully? Um, or do we just keep, you know, in, in terms of cementing the revival into future generations, or we just do we just keep doing what we're doing? Ooh, oh, that's an interesting question. That's really an interesting question. And um, I have a feeling that I'm, I'm, I'm uh, less, uh, philosophically speaking, I'm less of a, t- uh, a purist than I used to be. I really enjoy Cicchiani uh, when he's, say, for example, playing with... Um, uh, rock a jam, right. uh, and so so I can't say that I'm a purist from the point of view of throwing that away. But I do, I do sympathize with Vizali Balaj's point of view: is that it shouldn't be commercial, uh, shouldn't be primarily and principally commercial. Because I think the minute that that uh, money and fame become the Desired outcome, uh, you lose the then 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 you lose your uh, guiding uh, principles. Mm-hmm. Well, the, is this is the solution then, Kalman? That um, you know, everybody who kind of wants to do this should probably get a day job, <laughs> uh, so to speak, a creative director, an advertising agency, or a lawyer in a law firm. Or a regulatory affairs director, a pharmaceutical company is—is is that you know? So you can pay for the uh, the, the the cost of your passion, um, you know, or, or is there some kind of middle ground to to make some money doing it? Um, you know, I, it's that's more of a you know complicated question, but I don't I don't know the answer to that, you know. And I don't either. It seems to me now that I'm thinking about it as you're talking about it, uh, that uh, you're at a different point from where I was at when I was very actively involved in this. When when I was very actively involved in this, there was no question that I could make a living doing that. Absolutely no question. So it it went without saying that I needed a day job. Um, And so now I'm getting a glimpse of the fact that you're saying that maybe you'd like to do this full-time and you'd like to make a living at it. Um, or let's say someone might want to do that. Um, and I, I, not having had that, posed that question to myself, I have no answer. Oh, I'm not, by the way, I'm not, not suggesting that I would do it. Um, and I, I don't, don't want to do it. I'm actually very, I, as equally passionate about being a lawyer as I am about this uh, Tansas talk, you know, so, um, but, but you're right, there are people, and, you know, your son is an example, Daniel, who, um, excuse me, a Danish, who, who went to, with his wife, they went to Slovakia, and they danced for a professional folk dance group, if you see that, for a couple of years, um, you know, to, to, to do that, that's something they couldn't have done here, um, mm-hmm. Actually, no. He was a professional dancer here. He worked danced in Sortilège, which was right. Quebec's only sort of semi-professional professional company. Mm-hmm. That, that's true. That's true. And and I, t- I will say the Hungarian government is doing a good job with the funding, um, and they don't make it easy. I understand, but but 
there is funding out there um, for musicians to get grants. They have to be, you know, they have to work for it. They have to write for it. They have to be smart about it. But they can get money, and and I like that. The the you know the and a lot of criticism uh, can be and have been made about the Fidesz government. But that's one of the things that they're really proposing. Uh, uh, pushing is the folklore. Of course, they're pushing sports maybe much more, but that's a separate topic. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so Kalma, when it, let, let's talk about the the dance uh, flip side of this. So, uh, we're talking about putting, uh, you know, uh, commercializing, and I, let's not talk about that anymore. Let's talk about putting it on stage. How about that? That's a that's a term um, uh, that we can use. Taking, going back to your Kodai days, it's 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 you know early '80s, and you you you're back from your Koshak Club experience, uh, seeing Jura uh, break his shoes apart, doing the Seiki Shudu in front of Holmosh Bela, um, good times, and you bring that spirit home here. And I remember from the early '80s, I was a young child, but I remember watching Kodai starting to do new choreographies, the the boggy, of course, the the classic big choreography. Uh, that's Jura uh, choreography. Um, uh, when you choreographed for Kodai and for Bokreto afterwards, what, what's your what, what do you think about in terms of how to how to bring the dancing, the village dancing, onto the stage in the most tasteful yet entertaining manner possible? Uh, let me backtrack a little t- in in that sense. Uh, when all that started. Um, a little bit of history. Um, in in around, uh, I believe it was 1979. Your father started a, 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 the punt, the idea of a Pontuso festival, and I was along with him on that. It, the, the idea originally was going to be that uh, there would every other year there would be regional Pontuso festivals. And I took it on myself to do the one in Toronto, but there was going to be one in around New York, New Jersey, maybe around Cleveland, maybe in California. And some of that actually happened. And then every second year, there'd be a church pontozo, a a festival that brought out the the winners of the regional festivals together. Well, that never really happened. I don't think, but uh, the Toronto Regional Festival took off. So the first one, but before that it took off, the first one was uh, in Toronto, and um, and uh, it South Ontario groups came, but also uh, Mackinac from Drummondville came, and Capistrano Ensemble from Winnipeg came, and. Uh, these two ensembles, Capistrano and Winnipeg. Oh, by the way, I, I said to Kodai, we're not going to take part in this because we don't want to discourage the regional little groups um, by by being so much better than they are. That seemed, it, it, it turned out to be a pretty stupid statement because because Mackinac was far better than Kodai would have been. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so next time around when the, the next Pontozo was sort of in, in preparation I was sort of beating my head saying well if we invite Machina again what do we do that that, 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 that is at least at the same level as, as they're doing and at that time my wife said you know what why don't you invite Jura out 
and have him do something. And that seemed like a good idea. Mm -hmm. So we invited Jura out, and uh, I don't think there was ever... The, the first, I forget what happened at Pontozo, but that was a, a sort of a seminal thing for Kodai to work with Jura. And uh, the first time Jura and uh, Hushi Nimetirdiko were out together, they did uh, a choreography based on Satna material for Kodai, which was a fabulous choreography, and the group absolutely loved it, and it, it enriched the group and made it more attractive in the whole bit. So we couldn't do it without Jura, and we kept bringing him out, uh, them out, uh, Jura and uh, Hushi. And so uh, that's a long way of answering that what did I do in far, as far as choreographies were concerned? I think to a large extent I was trying to imitate the kind of choreographic idea that Jura had. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit different now because it's been a long time and, and, and I, I'm not as closely connected to that. What I do is I, I look at original videos, I look at I look at village groups, like if I'm doing a Rabakozi choreography, which I was doing uh, end of last season, was, or end of last season, there was no end of last season, <laughs> beginning of last season with, uh, with the Bukleta Juniors, um, I, I look at the Sunny group, what they do on stage, I look at the Vitnedi uh, group, and there's a lot of material floating around on YouTube and in various places that you can look at and say, hmm, that's an idea for a choreography, as long as you keep in mind the, 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 the basic vocabulary. And, well, I, I'm and, gonna, but the interesting comment, those are, those are revival groups, like they're, right, they're... Uh, uh, are we talking about like the older people that you know they sometimes bust over to the Tansastalakozo and we see them uh, you know the 60 70 year olds dancing or are we talking about young revival groups for instance Yashag to Yasperin um well uh, if we're talking about uh, Rabakers, uh, I'm talking about the Sunny group uh, and I'm talking about videos where some of the old uh, gentlemen fabulous old guys uh Santes Varga uh, and people like that are still dancing in the group. So, so yeah, I like I like it when it's not purely revival, mm -hmm. but that it has some of the uh, some of the original stuff. Even though you know the original stuff to, uh, in Hungary to a certain extent is already tainted with uh, the Gengis Bokrita movement uh, staged aspect of it, but. Hey, so who cares? It's still the original stuff. Right. So let me just ask you uh, two follow-ups. Um, the year that Jura first came, you mentioned he did a fantastic choreography. Do you remember the year? What we, is this the 80, 81, 82 ish? Uh, 80 or 81, I don't remember exactly. Okay. And Nemet Ildiko or Hush, you mentioned that's um, his former wife. Um, mm -hmm. uh, just to, so everybody knows who Kama was talking about. Um, and then when you mentioned the Gyöngyös Bokréta movement, uh, can you just tell the people what that is? Uh, in the 1930s, uh, extending into the early, uh, yeah, let's say 1930s mainly, uh, there was a, a, a newspaper man and a promoter called Béla Paulini, in Hungary, who came up with this idea of bringing village groups up to Budapest uh, for a festival. And that 
festival got to be so popular and so famous that this that and that was the Ginger's Bokrita. He called the, the the festival the Ginger's Bokrita, and 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 it got to be so famous, and it had a huge effect on on villages that that still had a, a folk a, a live folk culture, who then wanted to take part in it. So so lots of uh, individual village groups. Uh, sort of train themselves to become uh, to to go up on stage and show their own folklore. Uh, the people who would do the staging of these were usually the local teacher or uh, a local dignitary, and depending on how uh, good they were at what they did, um, they were able to put. The, the genuine article on stage pretty directly, or they mud, muddled with it and 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 sort of changed it and put it on stage that way. But in either case, it had uh, most of it had uh, the genuineness, the authenticity of the, the original folklore roots. So why didn't that mentality of let's take the village folklore, let's take the villagers themselves? And let's fiddle with it a bit and make it a little more palatable, a little more elegant for the stage. Um, but let's keep that core. He was like, you're not going to teach a, you know, a, a 57-year-old guy from Sun to point his toes, right? And, mm-hmm. and the ladies are not going to wear the red boots and, and do the quick spinning that you would see the Hungarian State Folk Ensemble do. Why, why didn't that ever catch on in Budapest and that, that we could have almost, almost gotten to what happened in the Tansas movement in the 1970s and the 80s um, faster. What, what happened there? Uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm speculating. One, one, one aspect of it could be that the war intervened, the Second World War, and, uh, and it put an end to that festival, and then uh, the uh, subversion of Hungarian government by the Communist Party and turning it into a, a, a communist dictatorship happened, and that was also inimical to 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 this thing going on, mm-hmm. uh, although the communists always had uh, a, a sort of a always claimed to have a, a, a folk oriented thing, but their folk oriented thing was Moiseyev uh, was the, the the model, and that was far 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 from 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 Bukrita. Um, um, so that was one aspect of why it didn't. And the other aspect, which I think is more important, is that the Indian was never a participatory thing. Mm-hmm. It was always a stage thing. Right. But it was participatory as, the, as far as the individual village groups were concerned, but you couldn't, it was never opened up to, 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 uh, uh, to everybody. And there was nobody, nobody around to, Leave the idea that this could be something that could be learned, unlike it happened in the 70s with with uh, Martin Yurka, uh, Timar, and people like that who who said, "Oh yeah, wait, let's you know this this is something that could and should be should be made available to everybody." Uh, I think Moiseyev, the model of imitating Moiseyev, is um, probably you know. Uh, the, 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 probably the core reason, um, and Echeri Lokodalmas, for instance, 
and the Tzigayin Tans we talked about, etc., is the closest thing to imitating Moiseyev, um, you know, that Hungarians could come to. And, um, and I, I'll say, I love watching Moiseyev. Loved them in the 80s. Saw them at Metropolitan Opera House. They were on tour. Blown away um, at the level and the choreography, the hopak and, uh, you know, the Cossack dances and all that stuff and the sailor dance. And you remember all that stuff, Kalma. And you probably didn't mm-hmm. like it at all. Um, at the time, I liked it. Oh, you did? Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, you know, I, but that was sort of back yeah. in back before the seventies. That was back in the sixties. You see, I saw him in the eighties, so I already knew what folklore was. Um, but I, I just, I loved it, and we did a lot of that type of stuff in the Tamburitsons, as you know. Um, mm-hmm. And, and but <laughs> now that I look at Moiseyev, and every time they say, "Here's Moiseyev doing a Greek dance or a Hungarian dance," oh my God, it is. Which they did. They know. did the Pontazo. Yeah, it's disgusting. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and Zigabachi's take on it was, they they came in looking like ghosts. What is this? <laughs> because that was his dance. Yeah, and oh really my God. really resented it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, as, uh, you know, as a president south of the border would say, collusion with the Russians, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> Just for just for those listening who don't know, uh, we mentioned Timar Shandor a few times. Timar Shandor was the director of the Hungarian State Folk Ensemble uh, during the the, uh, the eighties, and he was really the first one to to bring about or to put on stage um, these these uh, village dances, and 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 you know the uh, and, and you know it was a gradual over time for four or five six year period, and he had wonderful dancers who had already gone to the Tansas, Zura being one of them. Uh, Baku and, and, and others, um, and, and who later, and, and you know, Jura and Baku uh, quickly, by the late 80s, said, you know what, we're going to do our own thing, and they did the, the Kodai Ensemble, which I don't know if it bothered you guys at the time, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, because... Not at all, set. not at all, we took it as a, as a as, at least I did, as, 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 wow, that's great, that's, that's lovely. Yeah, we don't have, we don't have, I, I, I haven't looked in a while uh, on, on YouTube, but it'll be great to see if any of those old Kodai, of course, that was probably, truly the greatest uh, uh, generation in terms of the first generation of choreography that we saw, um, you know, 1987, 88, 89 with Kodai, and then, um, and then Jura then became the master of the next generation, of which uh, I include Fitosh Deje really as my favorite in that in that generation. So we can talk much more about that. Uh, Kama, we're gonna. This is gonna probably be an eighteen-part interview over the next few weeks. <laughs> um, but uh, you mentioned the Pontozo, and 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 you know I wanted to ask uh, the notion of a contest, um, and you know somebody very wise, I forget who it was, said you know. Uh, Contests or you know races are for horses, okay, not for folk dancers, and and you know um, and I often reflect on the fact that Pontozo was initially a festival that was first place, second place, third place, honorable mention, etc. It was a contest, and then and then we stopped doing it. I I think we were all calm on at that point. I was old enough and a part of the conversation. You know what? It's not, we shouldn't do a contest. Let's just do a festival. And it became more of a festival. You're absolutely right. Uh, uh, the contest aspect of it, when we first did it, I mentioned that uh, uh, the outstanding groups then were Kapistran from Winnipeg and, and, uh, and from Drummondville, the Mackinac Ensemble. 
uh, there was such a huge problem because we had to give our first place and all that sort of stuff. It was it it, it and then the, the, I don't know whether the next time or the time after we just made it a festival, which was a, such a, a good decision not to not to have it be competitive, right? These were the uh, the epic contests between uh, Toronto Kodai and New York Hungario, where I danced. Um, come on, we we reinvigorated though the Pontozo as a contest a couple of years ago and mm-hmm. uh, Kodai uh, here in Toronto has taken the lead on doing that and it was cancelled this year because of COVID but, but um, I have a different aspect of it or a different thought on it now and I wanted to run it by you and see what you thought you know there is a certain we have enough festivals we have the fest- we have Toborzo in New Jersey we you know there are many other festivals and camps and the like the the buzz around Pontozo does create a certain atmosphere of excitement, um, and I see it in your kids too that participate coming from Montreal. Um, I, you know, there's a place for it, I think, and and it, it might work now. What do you what do you think? You know, the contest part is back. Yes, I do know the contest part is back. Um... And and I, I I can't decide. I'm of two minds. One is exactly like you say that it does give a certain amount of excitement. Who's going to win and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then the other part of it is that uh, if there's winners, there's also losers, and you don't want that. Uh, on the whole, overall, I'd, I'd still be for festival rather than contest. Yeah, I all. On the whole, I'm I'm with you, um, and, and I'm I'm waffling on it a bit. I do, you know I play I play on the side the whole time, and I see the the excitement. I do see some some heartache, some disappointment on you know not getting first place. The judges, of course, uh, we always have someone from Hungary there. They do a wonderful job soothing everybody and you know and calming everybody down. Um, and they're trying to change formats. I know Kodai is working on that um, as well to make it more palatable. Um, as well to watch because it's a very long day and you can imagine on the violinist it's a lot of work but anyway um, uh, Kalman you've written a whole bunch uh, uh, articles and, and and you know and obviously read a lot um, what, what kind of reading do you recommend for people hopefully in English uh, to, to, to get a real robust background on Hungarian folk dance and, and music. What are your kind of recommended uh, recommended readings on that subject? Oh my goodness! There's um, because I do read Hungarian. I'm not really uh, familiar with what exists in English. Um, okay. Oy, oy, oy. Um, so you mentioned Jörg, Martin Jörg and Martin Jörg's book, uh, Types and Dialects which also has an alternate name. It's called, I think, Hungarian Folk Dances. I've seen mm-hmm. it in two, I, I, both versions. They're, um, uh, they're, they're available in English. Well, that, for me, that's, that's the, the Bible. Okay. That's, that's, that's the starting point, absolutely. Okay. Martin, Martin Jurko is, is, is amazing. He's an amazing man. He yes. was an amazing man. Yeah. I had a great good fortune to be able to meet him while he was... Still alive. He died. He died at fifty-three of old age. <laughs> he worked worked himself to death. Yes. Yes. Well, um, 
you know, managing the Beatles was a full-time job. I'm just kidding. George, there's George Martin. Uh, <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, was that a George Martin? Oh, wow, cool. Yeah, yeah. But this is Martin Gerger, George Martin. Uh, Kaman, if you, if, uh, if after the interview you, uh, you, you, you think of any English document readings, then um, yeah, I think you should send them along to me, and I'll get them out to the to the to, to the universe here. Um, uh, it could, and I encourage people of any generation, but more of older generations, to to do what I'm doing right now, which is to to write a book of their of you know um, of their own experiences in whatever format they might think. Come on, might maybe it's 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 uh, it's something a good retirement pet project for you to consider. Um, you know, uh, bringing a, a a newer light or a fresher light on Martin Jurge's work uh, in English. Uh, I'll challenge you on that. Well, you know, I am doing a little bit, a little bit of a, a project uh, with the, the embassy in Montreal, the Hungarian embassy in in, in Ottawa, hmm. and that is to to sort of cover the uh, the types and regions of Hungarian folk dance in short uh, uh, sort of like blog uh, entries like blog entries almost right yeah that's right that's yeah. right with uh, always with a video and a little bit of a write up and and uh, I'm almost at the end of that I've got maybe two uh, the next one the second last one is Kalotasega maybe the last one is going to be about the, the great Hungarian folk dance researchers mm. but we went through all the types of dance uh, what we talked about uh, in terms of historical layers and then the, the large uh, regions uh, Dunantul, uh, Tisa and Transylvania and within that the examples of the sub-regions um, so, so that sort of exists, and I, I was getting a little bit of a, uh, a suggestion or a nudge from the folks at the embassy that, that maybe that should be turned into uh, a, a printed uh, version as well. The problem I'm having is that I rely so heavily on the material from Hungary, from, from, uh, from Abner Bacci's stuff, from Falfo Di Lacci's uh, book, that it's 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 like a, an edit of their stuff. Right. Um, but I mean, what are you going to do? I, I don't want to make the stuff up. I have to source it from somewhere. So we'll see. We'll yeah, see whether uh, something um, comes up. Where can we find that online? I, I see on Facebook sometimes it's released, but is there any website? Generally, uh, when I don't know if it exists as a series with the embassy. Uh, I should ask. Okay. I'll find out and I'll let you know. Hungarian Folk Dance in Canada is a group that uh, Kalman started, was it, a couple of years ago now? Yeah, uh, that's Hungarian right. Folk Dance in Canada. And even if you're not in Canada, um, there's good resources there. And um, it's, 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 it's not just for Canadians. All right, Kalman? Anybody can right. try to join? Right, okay. right exactly. Oh, yeah. But no politics and no, no BS. No commercials. No commercials. Uh, so don't try to peddle your paprika on there, and um, uh, and, and the uh, the administrator will let you in. And I, I've seen those articles posted on there. So that's Hungarian folk dance in Canada. Come on, what else? You're a super smart guy. You always been. What what do you read and 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 watch? 
give us some recommendations. Doesn't have to be folklore, but you know, a recent book you wrote that you'd like to recommend to your old friend Uchi here. Uh, okay, there's one thing I'll recommend, uh, which I, I, I don't know how, how you're going to access it, but I have it in printed version, and it's an article that I wrote in 1993 called Hungarian Community Folk Dance Groups in Canada, because what I did in a year earlier, in 93 or 92, I forget, is I sent out a questionnaire to all, to the administrators of all the folk dance groups, all the 24 four folk dance groups in Canada mm -hmm. from coast to coast and they all answered and I was able to put together a study of, of uh, what are they doing, how large are they what's their repertoire, what about costuming, what, what problems do they have and all that sort of stuff so that article you might interest you Yes, thank you, I will check that, I remember, I remember being surveyed for it, well maybe I don't remember it but it was a long time ago of course but but I know that that came about 24 folk dance groups in Canada. And, of course, we also know now there's about, I don't know, six to ten bands, uh, depending, on how you, depending on how you count them. Um, so, you know, we, we, we definitely have a robust group here. Uh, we'll leave for another episode the, uh, uh, the, uh, the challenge of how to bridge the gap between Western Canadian and Eastern Canadian Hungarian folk dance groups and festivals. And, uh, um, and there's, a, you know, we're really just... Um, you know, just scratching the, the surface um, in terms of the discussion with Kalman. You could all hear how smart and resourceful and knowledgeable he is, just not just about our community, but about, about Hungarian um, folklore uh, in, in general. Um, what, what's your proudest accomplishment, Kalman, in, in, that you had a part of in your first, I'm going to say, 75 years um, of, 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 on the earth here with respect to uh, the, our, our, our community the Tansas community, and um, and what more do you feel that you would like to accomplish or see accomplished? So looking back and also looking forward. Oof. Okay, uh, not necessarily the most, but one of the things that I'm proudest is is um, in the in the. 80, late eighties, or the, let's say that as a as a general date, um, being in, being able to be instrumental in the an amazing flowering of, of uh, folk dance in Ontario. In Ontario, at that point, there were folk dance groups in Windsor, London, Kitchener, Delhi, Brantford, Hamilton, Toronto, Oshawa, Kingston, even. Uh, a zither group in Sudbury, and of course, uh, of course, Ottawa. Um, so it was it was an amazing time, and uh, these groups would come to Pontozo year after year after year with new material, new costumes. It was absolutely amazing, just amazing. Mm. And I had a, 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 a largest hand in that. Oh, I, I missed uh, St. Catharines and Welland and Niagara Falls. Because um, I was teaching in off and on, in, uh, mostly in St. Catharines, uh, sometimes in uh, Niagara Falls, two times in Welland. I was teaching regularly in Windsor, sometimes in uh, uh, in in London, Ontario, um, in in the Tobacco District, uh, Delhi. So uh, I thought, uh, in retrospect, that was that was a pretty amazing time and a, an amazing 
uh, movement, so to speak. Right. Um, the, the, the number of groups, of course, have, have substantially shrunk, um, and as have the Hungarian uh, communities. There's a lot of good reason for that, to be honest. Um, you know, it's not like, oh, gone are those days, those are the good days. No, there's different days, right? Yeah, demographic, good demographic reasons, yes. Yes. Um, we, we appreciate all that work that you did back then, Kalman. Um, and I know it was very kind of, it was regional, uh, as you explain it. Um, it's it, these pl Most of these places that Kalman just mentioned, you know, mo like they're pretty much like an hour, an hour and a half drive, depending on traffic on the 401 uh, from Toronto. So... Oh, like four hours to Windsor. Some, yeah, so, so, so more, yeah, there's, there's ones that are farther, of course, but, but um, you know, that's a big deal uh, to go back and forth locally. And, you know, we're lucky now we have, we have, we don't have that trekking, uh, traveling teacher really anymore. Um, you know, the, the Kuroshi Choma uh, program, for instance, helps solve some of that problems for us in terms of putting people in the right places to teach or to help with the community. Another topic for another episode, of course. What more do you want to see? What I mean, if and, and might it might be nothing. You might be very happy with the status quo, Kaman. And but um, you know, I, I started this program uh, as a part of the kind of the COVID lockdown, and and then I now I realize this is something that I, I would like to continue doing until people uh, will will listen and and until the, uh, until I can. I think there's a lot of uh, memories to record and, and, and people to interview and music to play and stories to tell, not just going back but into the future. Um, uh, what more would you like to see accomplished or done in furtherance of, of, of Tansas and the Roots revival? Um, okay, you mentioned the Kurdishi program, uh, KJP program. Um, and uh, my problem with the KCP program, which I agree is a fabulous, fabulous thing, and it, it did great good, great good in terms of folk dance groups around uh, North America and probably all over the world. Um, but my take on it is that what that, that these KCP people uh, do wonderful things and then they go home, um, and then then what? So my desire would be, uh, and I'm not going to do this, but I wish somebody would do this, would be to start a training, pro a serious training program for local instructors throughout Canada, maybe Canada and the States, so that people who are sort of in charge of dance groups who have some expertise but are always in need of new material and uh, uh, improved technique for leading a group would have uh, that possibility uh, to 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 progress. That's a great idea. I don't know. Uh, I I, I have a running list of potential guests for the show, and and I just added a name that you know and I know. Uh, Levoy Peter. Peter Levoy has been proposing the 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 potential for like a accreditation or a certification of teachers. Um, uh, some kind of objective thing that uh, training that they that can be done uh, that's uniform, which is an interesting proposal. My my only problem with that is that the minute it gets accredited and formalized and whatever, you kind of lose me. Uh, I like informal, uh, uh, more 
more work and 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 results oriented than uh, than oversight and accreditation oriented. Yeah. So that would be my. I, I get it. Yeah, I could see both ways of uh, having merit, or both both schools of thought having merit. Uh, Kalman, I've 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 I really appreciate the time um, that you devoted to being uh, the the first guest here, and um, I, I I definitely would like to have you back. In and so far, the best, future. right? So far, yeah, the first and the best. Um, so uh, I have some music playing in the background, and with that, I'm going to say goodbye. Do you have any parting last words of, of, of wisdom for the people out there? Dance, dance, dance. play music. <laughs> dance and play music. That's from one of the great creative uh, uh, directors in advertising uh, the pharmaceutical world has ever known. Um, Kama, thanks again one time, uh, once again for, uh, for coming on. And, Thank um, you, Uchi. Thank you very of, much. On behalf of Kama Andrei Siger and myself, Kama Magyar Uchi, um, thank you for listening to Tansa's talk and tune in next time. Mm-hmm.